until we finally get to get to Ephesians. I said three weeks ago that we were going to start it, and so so here we are. So let me back up a little bit and give you some uh, a running start at this thing. It, it's 61 A.D. We've made our way pretty much through the Book of Acts, and now uh, just to go back and think about Paul is in prison in Rome. And on his second missionary journey, he actually made his way through Ephesus and told them about Jesus. And then that was probably around 53 AD. We're uh, pretty much sure about that based upon what Luke recorded in Acts. And then he gets to his third missionary journey and he actually takes time and he hangs out in Ephesus for like two and a half years, just developing a relationship and starting the church and pouring into them at this time. I'll I'll tell you a little bit about their, their, their background as well. But we literally talked about this, the third missionary journey, uh, two years ago. That's when we were in Acts chapter 18 and 19. If you go back and you want to hear a little bit of that part of Acts, it was like in August and September of 2020. That's when we were covering it. But just to go back and, and, and let you know about what Ephesus was a Greek city. It was a port city. It was on the western side of Asia, the continent. The population during the time that Paul was there was probably about 225,000 people, which that's obviously a, a pretty big city for a seaport. And one of the seven wonders of the world is there. It's the temple of Diana, Artemis, that is there. And they worshipped Diana. And this is one of the things that Paul had to deal with was the false prophets and the false gods and things like that as he was teaching about the one God and teaching about Jesus the way. That temple was a, a huge thing. It was... 220 feet by 425 feet, and it supported 127 columns. So it was obviously a big structure there in Ephesus, and obviously they worship there. They worship this goddess there. So now Paul is writing this letter while he's in Rome saying, I miss you guys. I thank you for what you have done, what you have learned, but let me remind you who you are in Christ. He says in Christ many times throughout this letter. So here we go. Ephesians 1, chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Now, in the early writings of this letter right here, they don't necessarily have that verse. They're saying that Paul could have literally written this to uh, a circle of churches. That This letter would go out and it was for all the different churches there in the Asian population. But it made it to Ephesus and it made it circulation starting there. And so they believe that it was really written to the people at Ephesus. So this is the body of believers that Paul spent two and a half years with in Ephesus. He can literally talk about deep things with them. And he had to clarify who the saints were. It says right there, an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will, to the faithful saints 
in Christ Jesus. Not in Diana or Artemis, but in Christ Jesus. Not the ones who referred to themselves as a false goddess. So the word saint there, let's, let me focus on that for a second. The word saint uh, in our culture is something that is done when you're uh, dead and you're canonized and worshipped and everything else. But you, you look here in the scripture, the word saint is simply one of the many terms used in the New Testament describe one who trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You, my friends, are saints. And the reason that you're saints is simply because you made a choice to believe in Jesus Christ. And the moment that you believed in Jesus, he made you a saint. You you didn't even do anything. When I was eight years old and I asked Jesus to be my savior, I was a saint. My mom didn't tell me that at the time. I don't know if my mom ever knew that. You know, it's like, I didn't really figure it out until I was in my mid-30s. That when he's talking to them about being a saint, that he's referring to me as a believer as a saint. That I was made holy. That I was set apart. That I was made righteous. took me a long time. I went to church my whole life. My whole life. But it wasn't until I was in my mid-30s that I figured out I'm holy. I'm forgiven. I'm a saint. When the sinner, which is what I was, trusts in Christ as a Savior, he's taken out of this world. I'm literally taken out of this world and I have a different life. It's like uh, one time... Keith and I uh, were on a cruise and we went scuba diving. And I got in the water and had all that gear on me. And I panicked. I mean, I literally had an anxiety attack right there in the water. I remember looking at Keith going, I, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. He's like, you, you do you. You do what you got to do. And I, I got to the ladder and I'm like, Lord, I, I really want to do this. And I put the mask back on and went back out there. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but eventually I went under the water. And I had a blast. I mean, it's like, I'm an alien in the water. And without that scuba gear on me, I could not experience that whole world. And I feel like that's how I am today walking on this earth. I feel like I'm an alien to this world. And I can't really experience it unless I have that Holy Spirit living inside of me. It's like, it's like the breathing. That's, that's literally what I'm doing is I'm breathing the Spirit. It's a whole different life. And again... I had to learn learn that, even though it happened when I was eight. I had I had to learn how to. It's kind of like going underwater without the gear. 
I did that for years. I did it for years. And now life is so much greater. The adventure is so much greater because I, I, I literally breathe the Spirit. This, this literally, Paul's describing the spiritual position of the believer that we identify with Christ. I am in Christ. Verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace. It's been described to us as this unmerited favor, the desire. To me, it's the desire to do God's will. And then it goes a little bit further for me in this. I get the grace that God's shown me this unmerited favor that he's given me salvation. That's grace. But but literally for me to sit here and to talk to you about Jesus, I'm trusting God's ability in me. That's grace. What you see here is grace. God's ability to do things through us, and it's a it's a it's the the ability to just let Him do it. If I'm up here in my own strength and in my own, and this is, it, it would mean nothing. But I'm trusting that the Lord is speaking through me, like He's breathing through me right now. And it says grace to you and peace because grace leads to peace. God and Jesus are one. And when grace is accepted by the believer, not only do we have the desire to serve God, but I have the ability and the power to do so. I was told all my life that this is what we do as Christians. This is what you're supposed to do. This is your responsibility. Da, 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 da. But what if the fact that I'm just breathing and God works through me and he does it just as a byproduct of who I am. It's a totally different lifestyle. As our knowledge about God increases, I I believe Jesus increases in me so that grace is able to work. In 2 Peter 1, 2, it says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The more I know Him, the more I allow Him to breathe for me, the more things that happen. It's amazing. And then we get into uh, verse 3. Actually, verse 3 through 14 is just one long sentence. It's one long Greek sentence. It's like Paul's just overly excited and he just never takes a breath right here. I don't think we're going to get through all 14 verses today. But verse 3, it says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things is I went through Ephesians uh, through Bob Warren's study is one of the things that I learned about the relationship between the Trinity. Now, uh, that relationship with the Trinity has always been around. And and look at this. God sacrificed the agony of watching his son for two purposes. One, so Jesus could have a body to express himself to the universe. And two, so that the spirit would have a temple to dwell in. So he sent his son, 
for two reasons, one for Jesus and one for the Spirit. And then Jesus went to Calvary so that God could receive a family. That would be us here in this room right here and even beyond this room. And also so the Spirit would have a place to dwell. Jesus died, was buried, rose again, went and sat by the Father, and they sent the Spirit to come dwell inside of us. But he had to die. And then third, the Spirit, well, he glorifies God for one. And he, he does this by Jesus revealing what accomplished was accomplished on the cross. And two, it's God being glorified through the Son. This is what the Spirit does. So Paul continues to teach the church not to be man-centered. This was how all their issues occurred that he had to confront them about. You think about all the church organizations today and all the issues that they deal with. I mean, uh, we were just talking to Matt right before I walked up here and talking about uh, like when Keith is talking about the Paul's thorn in his side, and I'm like, I still believe it was the Judaizers that was Paul's thorn in his side that they came along and totally twisted his message. And he's like, Do you think the Judaizers were believers? And I'm like, Well, yeah, I think they're believers, but they just were so bogged down with legalism, and they kind of came back and forced it. He goes, Don't we have Judaizers today? And I'm like, Absolutely, we do. I mean, we have pastors, churches, people wanting to take our freedom that Paul talks about in Christ, in Galatians, and bog us down with rules and laws and legalism. But what happens if the believers just become selfless? He says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavens in Christ. Just comprehend this for a second. Jesus came not only to redeem fallen man, but to give them everything possible. Everything possible. Everything spiritually that we need. Like, you have everything. I know uh, last two weeks, sorry, last two weeks, Matt's talked about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23. We have all that within us. I have every spiritual blessing. I'm not talking about physically here. It's not about the stuff, but it's about my identity, about who I am. The world definitely is focused on the physical side of things. Like everything that you've seen in the news right now, it's all dealing with physical world. But we are spiritual beings. I am a spiritual person more than I am a human being. Did you get that? I am a spiritual person more than I am a human being. This body failed me in the last two weeks. And it's going to eventually fail me forever. But the truth is, I will live for eternity I will live because I am a spiritual person. I have a soul and I have a spirit and it is redeemed by Jesus Christ. He has made me whole, made me perfect. Then verse four, it says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, he chose us. Dan, this is you. Can you uh, help me out here? I'm going to have 
have Dan uh, do something for me right here. I'm going to try to create a, a linear timeline. Yeah, it goes out there. Uh, a linear timeline. The, let me speak to you about linear. I, I, I saw something in the news this week that said Netflix says that there is no longer going to be linear television. No, you're, you're fine. Just go right ahead. You're not bothering me a bit. There's no longer going to be linear television. And I'm like, what in the world? What in the world does he mean there's not going to be any linear television? And by... Yeah, just keep going. And by linear television, he meant this, that all those local networks like ABC and CBS and NBC that show series, you know, that you have to watch like at 7 o'clock or, or 7 o'clock, I go back to Central Time, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, you know what I'm saying? That in five, six years, all linear TV is going to be gone. That people are only going to like stream and watch, watch things based upon whatever they want to watch, whenever they want to watch. So linear TV is gone. Now, here's, here's part of the problem is I live on a linear timeline. Is he still going? I live on a linear timeline. And let's say this is the timeline right here. All right? Uh, grab something. Uh, oh, this is perfect. Airhead. Well, let's just say this is the linear timeline. That's the beginning, and this is the end. You done, Dan? All right. Let's just say that uh, that's my life right there on the timeline. I mean, if I look out there, can anybody see where it starts? Can anybody see where it starts? Can anybody see where it ends? This is the timeline. You see, at this point in the timeline, when I was eight years old, about that, about that long ago, I believed in Jesus Christ. I had no idea what this meant. And so I'm living my life right here, doing my thing. And, okay, I know I'm going to die, and I know I'm going to go to heaven. Hmm. Okay. But here's what it says. God says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. If I go to eternity past, which I can't see, like how far does it go? Eternity, it goes forever. Right? Goes forever. That's when God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit were there in the very beginning. And and how far does it go? Ah, it goes forever. It just goes. But the moment, the moment I received Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, He forgave me my sins, He made me whole, He perfected me. He made me a saint. He made me righteous. He made me a child of God. I was in Christ. Whoa. Those two little words, in Christ. Once I'm in Christ, 
Watch this. I'm in Christ. From eternity past to eternity future, I'm in Christ. It wasn't until I was eight years old and I made the choice to believe. I believed. All right? I believed. And I was in Christ. All the way back to the foundations. So he knew. He knew at that point that at eight years old that I was going to. He knew today we were going to string tape across the front of the auditorium. He, he knew all that at the foundation. He knows. He's God. Because watch this. If this is me right here right now, I'm assuming I have this much of airhead life left. If this is me right is Christ here right now? Is Christ back here? Is Christ back here? Is Christ back here? Is Christ up here? Absolutely. You see, I live on a linear timeline right now, but God, He lives, He is the timeline. As much as He's here now, He's here now. And He's here now. And He's here now. And He's still back here. I know that's blowing your mind. I know it is. But how else do I explain that, the foundation of the world? Eternity past to eternity future. Pardon me, but this is going to bother me if it stays up here. Yeah, there goes the timeline. But, hey, that's just my timeline. Not his timeline. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. To be holy. Oh, here we go. To be holy and blameless in love before him. The believer... Based, based upon what Jesus has already done, is made righteousness. I've been made righteous. I've said this over and over and here before. When God sees Rusty, he sees Rusty as righteous because he made me righteous. He doesn't see Jesus in front of me blocking the way and saying, oh, he's looking through the Jesus filter and see. No, he's made me righteous. I still blow it, I still sin, I still do things, but I've been made righteous because he's forgiven me past, present, and future. You guys, you're going to blow it. You're blowing it right now. I get it. But you've been made righteous. And I believe, I believe if you figure that out, if you believe that you've been made righteous, all of a sudden your behavior begins to line up with that. It may take a while. Still taking me some time. I'm still trying to line up. I don't try. Just focus on Jesus and it happens. But it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's who we are. Verse 5, it says, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Here we go, another one of those theological terms that everybody argues about, predestined. Usually when you argue about predestination, you're talking about salvation, but he literally says right here, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. That's what he predestined us as. We've been chosen from the foundation of the world because of the decision that I made when I was eight years old 
but now I've been predestined, adopted through Jesus Christ for himself as sons and children. I go to Romans 8.23 and it says this, Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I said to you that this body has failed me, it's going to fail me eventually. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what my future body looks like. I just know there's one waiting for me. I, I know I'm a spirit and soul, and there's a body that's it's, it's eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. At the point of salvation, the believer is made into a finished product in their soul and in their spirit. It's a done deal. He is as holy and blameless and justified and righteous and forgiven and complete and glorified in the person as he will ever be. That's you. There's nothing more that you can do. But it's not until the resurrection that body becomes immortal. 1 Corinthians 15.53 talks about it becomes a body like Christ possessed, possessed after his resurrection. Therefore, that whole resurrection is the final piece of the puzzle where we're conformed to the image of God's Son. It's to this that we're predestined when we accepted Christ, not beforehand. Verse 6, it says, To the praise of His glorious grace that He lavished on us in the Beloved One. Any response to that verse? Yeah. Yeah. One amen. To the praise of his glorious great that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Second Corinthians four seventeen eighteen says this for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Last night, Michelle and I uh, watched our friend's documentary. It's called Bowen's Heart. I highly recommend it. I think it was two bucks on Amazon. Bowen's Heart. They're friends of ours, Matt and Sarah Hammett, in Nashville, and their son Bowen was born with half a heart. He's had three open heart surgeries before he's... 13 years old. He's doing great now. But how do you tell this 13-year-old boy that verse to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one? How do you tell that boy that's like struggling to get oxygen in his body? Or the parent who's lost a child yeah, he's lavished on us. Or the homeless addict. Yeah, he's lavished on us. Or the faithful, church-going, religious person that can't do enough to please the church or the pastor. Yeah, he's lavished on us. Or the person who's reaping the pain and the consequences of their selfish choices. Yeah, he's, he's lavished on us. 
How do you how do you say that? All I know is that he has. When he gave us his son, he allowed me to live to eternity past and eternity future. This stuff that I'm dealing with right now, <clears throat> that you're dealing with, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. That makes it sound so small, but it's not. But he lavished on us. He loves us. It says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Through his blood we have forgiveness. I have redemption. The gospel, his death was necessary for the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Hebrews chapter 9 it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You guys, it's already happened. One time. One time. He died one time, and his blood, his blood was enough. For all your sins that you've done, all the sins that you're doing, all the sins that you're going to do, it's a done deal. It's over. You go to that whole argument, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah, he did that when I was eight years old. One time. I don't have to kneel beside my bed every night and ask for forgiveness. Because he died one time and he forgave me one time. Then you go to the Lord's Prayer. Oh yeah, but the Lord's Prayer, well, that was before the cross. In Matthew. Forgiveness has occurred. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. And then finally, verse 8, it says, that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. That He richly poured out, He lavished on us. Lavish covers all sin. All sin. He lavished us with wisdom and understanding. You literally have the insight into the true nature of things. It's putting that scuba gear back on and being able to see things that the world can't see. Look, if you go watch the news, you're going to see what the world sees. But if you stay focused with the Spirit in you, you see things that the world can't see. You have wisdom and understanding that the world doesn't understand. Bob, my friend Bob, always said it's the ability to view life from God's perspective. Think about it. You've been given the ability to view things the way God views things. Because why? Because wisdom is revealed through the Holy Spirit. Today, we have much to be thankful for. We have much to be thankful for. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have this Holy Spirit living inside of us. Yeah, you were chosen. You were chosen from the foundation of the world. 
And today, it's obviously, we come to give thanks to God for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to partake uh, in the Lord's Supper here today. So what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to make two lines. I'm going to clear my my linear timeline here. But we're going to let you make your way up to the stage. You can come up this way and go to the front of the table, and you can come up that way and go to the back of the table and make your way, make your way down. But uh, if there's some that can't make it up the steps, we have some over here on the side that you're welcome to be at. But if you'll come up here and get a cup and get uh, a cracker and take that back to your seat, we will take that together as a family. All right. So we're going to play some music while you come up here, and you're welcome to come up. Here. They were all sitting around the table. And uh, honestly, the 11, Judas had already left. But the 11 were kind of freaking out. Because their savior, their friend, their... I don't even know if they knew at that point that he was their savior. I mean, it's like, what did they know? What did they know at the time? Because the spirit hadn't dwelt inside of them at this point. So there's a lot of, and they're young, they're young, they, they've hung out with Jesus, and now he, they know that their friend is about to be crucified. And Jesus spent the time saying, hey, have no fear, no fear, no fear. Here's what's going to happen is, uh, he picked up the bread, and he says, Guys, this is my body, which is broken for you. My body is going to be broken. Not that his bones were broken, because prophecy said that no bones would be broken, and no bones were broken. But his body was broken. In other words, he died. And the reason he died is so that you could have life. That was it. My body is broken. So he said... Take this bread and do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup of wine that was there. And he says, this is my blood which is poured out for you. And just as we read in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, the forgiveness of all sin the forgiveness of all sin came through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Look, no one asked you to like get your act together before you came up here. Because it's not about your behavior. It's all about your identity. It's what he did for you. He did this for you. I grew up thinking, you know, oh, I got to get my act together before I go up there and partake in the Lord's Supper. I got to get my life right. Well, that never happened. (laughs) Never happened. Until I learned that he did it for me. I've been made righteous. I've been made holy. I've been blessed. And you, my friends, are the same. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for 
just life, that we can breathe you, that we can, that you can live our life for us, that you've given us the ability. May we do that. May we learn even more today what that means. Teach me, Father. But thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your life. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for health. Just thank you for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.